Welcome to Conversations with Ask Ash. Conversations with Ask Ash focuses on people, processes, and outcomes. Ashley dives into everyday conversations around work efficiency, team productivity, and project execution. Let's get into the show. And now, your host, Ashley Schuler. Ashley Schuler. What's going on, everyone? And welcome to Conversations with Ask Ash. If you've been hanging out this season, we've been talking a lot about, about systems of purpose and impact. And so I'm really, really excited about today's guest. Uh, I have her book in front of me, even though this is an audio-only podcast. It's right in front of me. And I'm super excited to introduce Nicole Lynn Lewis of Generation Hope. Uh, she is the founder of this fantastic nonprofit. She is a former teen mother who put herself through the College of William Mary with, with her three-month-old daughter in tow. Nicole Lynn Lewis now works every day to change the statistic that less than 2% of teen mothers will earn their degrees before age 30. Nicole, uh, again, the founder of and chief executive officer of Generation Hope, a nonprofit organization that surrounds motivated teen parents and their children with the mentors, emotional support, and financial resources that they need to thrive in college kindergarten, thereby driving a two-generation solution to poverty. Generation Hope is now expanding its work nationally to help colleges and universities and policymakers across the country better meet the needs of nearly 4 million parenting students who are working towards their degree. Nicole is a nationally known author and speaker with her book, Pregnant Girl, released by Beacon Press in the spring of 2021. Welcome, Nicole. I'm super excited that you're here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, we have got a jam-packed session here today. Um, and so we're talking about impact and purpose, Nicole. And when I picked up your book, your book really resonated with me deeply because when we talk about all the ways in which life takes us to what we're supposed to do, you know, there's this question that's just emerging um, since the pandemic. You know, how can I be purposeful? How do I how do I create impact? You know, I'm a business owner. I'm a career professional, all these facets. Um, and so I'm excited to break down your particular story. Uh, but we definitely have to plug the book, Pregnant Girl, A Story of Teen Motherhood, College, and Creating a Better Future for Young Families. Why this book? Like, why now? Yeah. Um, so it's a funny story, actually, because the book, the process of getting this book out into the world probably started about 12 or 13 years ago. Um, I you know, graduated from college as a teen mom, was in the workforce, and, you know, you get to know coworkers. My first job out of college, I was working for an insurance company doing, you know, PR and communications for them. And I was getting to know my coworkers and, and they would hear my story of, of being a young mom in college. And they were like, this is something you never hear people talk about. Like your story is pretty rare. It's pretty incredible. You should share it with the world. And I've always loved to write ever since I was a little girl. And so I was like, okay, let me try to write, you know, a book about, about my experience and um, quickly learned that publishing a book is incredibly, incredibly difficult, not just writing it, you know, that's a difficult undertaking, but to actually get a publisher to say, I believe in this project and I want to help to bring it into the world is very hard. And now, of course, you know, being older and understanding a little bit more about the dynamics at play, I think particularly for Black women to get their stories out into the world is really challenging. 
So I had so many doors slammed in my face, you know, literary agents who said this, you don't have a platform. This is not a story that people want to hear about. No one wants to hear about uh, teen mothers being successful. And so I shelved the project and um, I focused on, you know, launching a nonprofit organization and, you know, started Generation Hope in 2010. And, and really, um, you know, that was my focus and, and as well as my family and other things. And, and about three years ago, I was in a, uh, a training for nonprofit organizations and it was all about scaling, scaling impact. And, um, you know, we often think about scaling impact through brick and mortar, right? Like, let me build 20, you know, generation hopes across the across the country or the globe. But the uh, facilitator talked about also scaling impact can be inspiring other people to do the work. And one of the vehicles for that is a book. And I was like, wait a minute, I have a book, right? Like I have the beginnings of a book that I could dust off and kind of revisit. And, um, and that's what I did. And I was able to connect with a literary agent, one of my board members at Generation Hope, who instantly, Joanne B. Jarvie, just believed in the book, believed in me. And um, she helped me shop it around to some publishers and thankfully was able to find Beacon, which is just, you know, this incredible social justice publisher with authors like James Baldwin and like, I mean, just people that I never imagined being in the company of. Um, and it was the perfect place because they understood completely what I wanted to accomplish with the book. And really, you you know, I, I think this is a moment. And, and so I think, you know, I, we kind of talk about how that works everything out, right, you know, for our good. And even though I would have loved to be able to have uh, Beacon pick this book up 13 years ago, I hold it in a place right now where it's just this is story to be out and to be amplified. Um, because, you know, we're talking about women, we're talking about um, uh, folks who have for too long fallen through talking about race. Um, we're talking about poverty. You know, all of those things kind of converge all together. I think this is, this is a moment for, for the story. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with this because, you know, this aspect of timing is is, is everything. And if I, you know, going back to, you know, the, your earlier story, you're, you know, you're in high school, you know, journalism, you know, that's something that's on your mind, you know, you're loving to write, you know, and I'm thinking about just, you know, sort of telling your younger self, what did your younger self need to know, like in terms of understanding like path and destiny? Because I love to talk about like education, you know, is, is a pathway, like, you know, and being an advocate for that. What would you tell like your younger self, like your ninth grade self? Oh, gosh, my ninth grade self. Um, I, I think that, gosh, there's so many things I would love to tell my ninth grade self. <laughs> but, you right. know, one big thing is. I think I would tell my ninth grade self this, I would tell my college self this is, you know, we're always so focused on the big things, like the big milestones. And we almost define ourselves and our success by those big things and those big milestones. Like when I get my degree, then I'll be accomplished. I'll be great. I'll be capable. I'll be worthy. And um, I know, you know, in ninth grade, it was all about you know, getting on a roll. It was all about preparing for college. And I very much defined my success, my um, worthiness of, you know, by my ability to get into the good schools or my ability to, you know, make on a roll and all of that, how well I did on that AP test, like all of those things. And so I think I would tell myself that you're worthy, you're capable, you're incredible right now, um, even without the degree, even without, you know, the honor roll or the five 
five on the AP test. And I think, um, you know, that would have been really helpful, I think, for me to hear, because I put a lot of pressure on myself, I think, when I was in high school, and then even more pressure in college, because I was a mom, and everything was riding on me getting that degree, um, that I just probably needed to know that I was already pretty awesome. And I think a lot of young people need to hear that message. Absolutely. I think that this aspect of you doing it alone, like, you know, and you being like getting to like the one destination, whatever that is, can be overwhelming. But I think what was so interesting about the book is in terms of environment, you went out um, throughout the book, you know, you know, how you helps your scholars, the, your generational scholars surrounded with like the right, you know, kind of people. So talk to us about influence, it's the influence of your environment early on, and then like how you structure that for your current program. Yeah. So, you know, when I was growing up, I was in, you know, in really interesting environment. I mean, I had so many wonderful things going on in my home. I had, you know, my father was in the Peace Corps. He was a big kind of, you know, social justice person before we had a, a term social justice, you know, if you will. He always taught us to make a difference in the world. And that was big. So I think from a purpose standpoint, you know, that was driven home a lot in my in my house, just like the importance of making the world a better place, using our skills and our talents and our gifts to help other people. Um, and uh, I, my mom was an artist. She still is. She was a painter. And both of my parents were educators. And um, so like education was huge. And, and, you know, anytime we wanted to do something education wise, that was wholly supported by both of our parents. Um, creativity was, you know, wholly supported and, and encouraged. Um, at the same time, I had, there was a lot of fighting, you know, when I was growing up with my parents. And so home was not always a stable place to to be and and there were times where um, I felt unhinged, kind of untethered, and um, really wasn't sure of myself because of the impacts of that arguing. And so, uh, you know, my environment I think was really influential in good ways. And then certainly, I was I think you know people often say like, how did you, this student who came from a two parent middle class home, who were you know college educated parents, find yourself um, uh, pregnant your senior year of high school and and um, one, I would say, you know, teen pregnancy can happen to anybody, right? <laughs> like that's number one. But the number two, um, I was certainly looking for things outside of my home and stability outside of my home that I wasn't able to find at home. So, um, you know, in terms of the environment that we create for our students at Generation Hope, I think um, wanting to support their passions, wanting to support their interests rallying around them with resources that that can help them realize their dreams and their and, and helping them to like be creative in all of the different ways that they want to show up in the world. Like I definitely think my parents um, and the environment that they created for me helped to influence that and, and what we create for our students. Um, and I think, you know, the, the arguing and kind of the feeling, like I said, like that you're you're untethered in a way. I think I've tried to create environment in my home that, you know, that kind of uh, works in the opposite direction. We try to really foster an environment with our kids um, that is, is, you know, super stable and loving and connected. Um, and then I think that there's aspects of that at Generation Hope as well. You know, one of our core values is um, family at Generation Hope and, and that feeling of connection and that and also acceptance is another core value of our organization where, you know, the world may see you as, you know, X, you know, or, you know, have all sorts of judgments and feelings about you and your choices. But here at Generation Hope, we love you. We celebrate 
celebrate you and we're glad you're here. And, and so I think um, that's probably a, a product of, of, you know, um, the environment that I had when I was growing up. Uh, I, I can definitely see that, and I, you know, and that's super important because, you know, again, depending on the environment of, you know, the scholars that you're working with c- coming into your organization, being able to also say like, I can do this because, you know, you've done it, you've modeled it. And also so many others um, that are, have gone through the programming and, you know, the, and all the different initiatives that is, yeah, that's super wonderful. Um, also what I love to, um, is this theme of advocacy. We also, you know, we think about it in this lens, social justice, right? But then there's also self-advocacy, which I saw that was what you were doing, right? There's a lot of self-advocacy of what you wanted for your life, what you wanted for your daughter, what you wanted for your future self. And so I love that in like early in the book, um, you, you talk about, you know, you said, we are more than a moment. I would learn that as practitioners, policymakers, and educators, we erroneously build interventions that define young people by a single moment in their lives. And so this is super profound because how many of us have just been judged by a single moment? Mm. And so, you know, when you were, as you're building Generation Hope and you're thinking about your past experience in terms of that, that single moment, what were you looking in terms of, of changing or what did you want to see um, from that perspective? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think this is like a human nature thing, right? Like we look at people, we look at things that are happening in their lives and we make a, a an instant judgment about who they are, what they're capable of, you know, and what they're deserving of. And um, and I, I thank God for my experience early on as a young parent, because I think it taught me um, how damaging those judgments can be. And to not see people as as full people with full lives and with um, all sorts of, of potential that is too often cut short by those, you know, flash judgments that we make. And that was important to me, again, at Generation Hope, you know, we do things like I always wanted to make sure we call our students scholars. So our students are scholars in our program. And that was intentional because, you know, they may be coming out of school environments where people were calling them anything but a scholar, right? You know, anything but a scholar. Um, But at Generation Hope, we are intentional with the words that we use, the way that we know they speak power into people's lives and they encourage people. Um, And it's been interesting because so many students come to us and they'll say like, this is the first time I've ever scholarship. This is the first time um, I've been able to talk freely about being a parent without worrying about, you know, punitive kind of responses. Um, even in the way that we support our students, you know, if they fall below a certain GPA, um, we we have academic probation or, you know, kind of an academic um, uh, period where we're working. But that period is to work with them to help them bring their GPA back. During that time, they're still getting the tuition assistance. They're still getting all of our services, our case management. Um, they're still we're still working with their little ones. Um, and so I think, you know, it. it for many of them, they're used to, hey, my GPA goes below a certain point, I lose my scholarship, I lose my, you know, the supports. That's not at all who we are at Generation Hope. So it's been really intentional, the the environment that we build that is not about defining our students by a single moment, whether it's their pregnancy, or all the things that we know happened before their pregnancies, 
um, or it is my GPA dropped, or we have students who, you know, they are evicted, you know, from their homes in the course of going to college. And, and again, it's not for us, it's, it's about rallying around them and saying, hey, how can we make sure that you have what you need to stay the course? And it's amazing to see how that response is unfortunately a rare response um, for young people. And we have to inspire others, hopefully, to say this should be the common response that we have. Yeah, because you know and and you're you're so right because you know people will slam the doors in your faces and you know I'm recalling like in the in the book when you were getting on campus, right? And you were like housing, daycare, uh, you know, the figuring out the tuition. Do you walk us through like you were pretty much like I'm not going to be defeated. <laughs> like that, that, that was it. Like you were going and you were knocking down doors. You know, yes. so, so what was that? That was just, you know, I mean, in your, in your frame of mind, that was just like, I, I'm not going to give up. Right. I right. mean, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I wanted to. Yeah. Say. I call it bullheadedness. <laughs> <laughs> Which quite honestly, Ashley, I have not been able to shake. Um, I'm, a, I'm a little bit, I still remain bullheaded in many ways. You can ask my husband. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, here's the thing, you know, what I realized very early on, even in discovering my pregnancy. So before I even had my daughter was that it, everything changed. Like college was not a nice to, to have. It was not a luxury kind of thing. Like, oh, if I want to do it, I can. It was an option anymore to get my college degree. It was a necessity. I knew that if I was going to be able to provide for my daughter, I would have to have a post-secondary credential. I knew because, you know, I had seen girls in my school get pregnant, disappear. If they didn't disappear, they were working in food service or retail, barely able to provide for their children. So there was no plan B at William & Mary. Like if William & Mary didn't work out, I didn't have a plan B where I could just do X and I would still be able to provide for my daughter. Like I knew everything was riding on my college degree. And so I, that, that changed the way that I showed up in the world. You know, I had to be really bullheaded and say, all of these things have to work because if they don't work, I don't know if we will make it really, you know, quite frankly. And um, I had, you know, we have students in our program who have grown up in poverty. That wasn't the case for me. I was through my pregnancy. I and everything that kind of transpired after I discovered my pregnancy, I got a taste of poverty. I understood what it was like to not have food, to not have a place to sleep, to sleep in people's cars and in the parking lot. Um, And I didn't want that for my daughter. So everything became, I have to make this work. I have to go find the loophole in the paperwork. When they tell me, oh, I've got to call two or three more times to say, you know, please, you know, can I get my daughter off this waiting list? You know, whatever it was. And even at William & Mary, you know, it was an environment that was not at all set up for a student like me. I had to figure out how to make this environment work in some way for a student like me. And some days it just didn't work. And some days it did, but I had to like keep trying to figure it out. Um, And I think many, you know, young parents and student parents will tell you the same thing. It's like your child motivates you. It it makes the stakes incredibly high. Yeah, absolutely. And even in the face of like, you know, you're taking your classes, you even mentioned some professors were understanding, um, you know, whether it was scheduling and then others were not. And so, you know, in terms of you navigating even those those types of relationships, were you uh, hesitant? Um, to to just disclose because maybe you had like one or two teachers that were like, uh, you know, we, we, I don't really care.
care? How were you navigating all that? I was definitely hesitant. Um, I had already experienced some really harsh uh, treatment, even in high school, when I found out that I was uh, pregnant with teachers who I was almost like a teacher's pet. And then as soon as I got pregnant and they found out, it was like the exact opposite. And all of a sudden I was going from A's to D's in terms of my grades. And um, so I knew that people's perceptions about me would influence the way that they graded my papers, <laughs> you know, the way that they treated me, whether or not they were willing to work with me if I had some, you know, special circumstance. So I was definitely hesitant to tell uh, professors, people working at, at William & Mary, you know, anyone in a position of, you know, gatekeeping where they were in charge of resources. Um, and so I knew from experience that it could go either way, you know, it could go really well. And I could have a professor say, wow, that's incredible. And like, please let me know if you need anything. But I could also have a professor who then, you know, made a mental note and, and I would be dealing with some things that I wouldn't have had to deal with if they didn't know that I had a child. Um, and that was hard, you know, again, and wanting to show up as your full self um, in an environment, it, it was very hard for me to do that. Yeah, I can't know. Absolutely. I definitely uh, imagine that uh, that being tough because as you're navigating a bolo, you know, and, you know, taking care of your daughter, um, even in the navigation of your horses, and when it came to like getting to graduation day, what, you know, so walk us through even like the plan, like, okay, you're here, you know, you've gotten your, you know, you're working your way through. So what was the plan after like that, that post-grad, like, what was that? What was some of the things you were thinking about? I mean, honestly, I was on, the biggest thing for me was like, how am I going to pay for daycare? <laughs> like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, honestly. Honestly, I was thinking about the very basics of like, okay, after I graduate, I will need to pay for daycare, you know, and I'm already like, I had my daughter in Head Start. Um, and that was a godsend because I had gotten to the point where I could no longer pay for daycare. Um, and I was paying $800 a month for daycare, which, and it was incredibly hard and got so difficult that I ended up having to pull her out and, and Head Start became, you know, just... A, a major solution for me in my senior year that I don't know if I would have graduated had I not been able to get her in Head Start. So I was thinking about things like, okay, I'm going to have to go back to like paying tuition for her. And like, how do I, what kind of job am I going to need to be able to do that? Um, I knew I loved working with young people. And so I, while I was in college, was getting certified to teach secondary English. And, um, you know, I came from a family of educators. So teaching was something kind of in my blood. Um, and uh, so I knew, hey, I, I will have a job of some sort and it might be teaching, for example. Um, but I also loved communications. I loved PR and marketing. I had written for my regional newspaper in high school and my school newspaper. I had done some internships, managed to figure out how to do some internships while in college um, around journalism and broadcasting. And so that was my my real passion was like PR and communications. So when I graduated from William and Mary and I was able to get my first job in in PR, that was just like, oh my gosh, this is really exciting. Really cool. In terms of alignment, though, um, you know, as you're navigating, you know, graduated, you know, got a PR job. Now, okay, how do you how did you know in terms of alignment? Because because uh, I'm thinking about you know that idea that you got for generational and then being in the DC area. Was, was were you always thinking about opening up a nonprofit? You know, it's like I was thinking what I was often as I sat in the 
in the commencement, you know, at, at William & Mary was like, how do I make sure that my experience as a young mom in college is not rare? You know, the fact that I was able to graduate. That's right. And so I wasn't sure, is that going to be an organization? Is it going to be on volunteering with an organization? And it wasn't until like I was working, I'd moved up to the DC area and I was working on my master's degree and I was looking to volunteer for an organization that was focused on this work and none existed. And I was like, this is crazy um, that in the DC region, there isn't an organization helping teen parents get their college degrees when this region grapples with, you know, teen pregnancy rates, poverty, all of these things. And very few across the country were, you know, organizations. Um, at the same time, I knew that while I loved PR and communications, I didn't love auto insurance, <laughs> which is right. what I was, you know, I was <laughs> working for a, a auto insurance company. And so my heart was really pulling me in into nonprofit work. And so I had moved and shifted into the, to the nonprofit sector, fell in love with the sector. And so all of that was kind of like brewing where I was like, okay, I have this lived experience of being a young mom in college. I now have nonprofit experience. There are no organizations that are doing this work. Um, and then there was a statistic um, that just like fueled my fire was that less than 2% of teen moms earn a college degree before age 30. Um, and I was like, just floored by that and thought, you know what? I feel like I'm the person who should be launching this work in the DC region. Region. And and that's really where Generation Hope came to be. I never envisioned myself as a CEO. Um, never envisioned myself in that seat. And and quite honestly, in the first few years of the organization, it was hard for me to lean into that. You know, to really be like, yes, this your seat is at the head of the table. Um, those that that was not always a comfortable space to be in. Um, but I feel like it chose me in a way and it was my calling. Oh, that's beautiful. So you're, I mean, so going back to that point, you, you struggled just with being at the, at the head of all of this. Was it be, was this because it was, you're thinking like, this is a huge undertaking or what are, or, or what was, what was that that was kind of going through your mind? I, I, you know what it was? It was like me, like, like <laughs> Nicole, yeah. you know, like yeah. I just write, like I'm a good writer and. And, you know, I like that's what it was, was like, I don't know that I'm the person who should have CEO behind their name. Um, and, you know, what of course, and, and, and I talk about it in the book, too, like that feeling of do I belong around the table? Do I belong in this seat? Do I belong in this space? Which I think particularly as Black women, we're always asking ourselves. And I think that was a part of it, that imposter syndrome of like, am I the person who should be doing this. Um, and that was, that was not like, it wasn't instantaneous. Like I knew I wanted this organization to exist in the world. I wanted to launch it and see it grow. And I just was like, am I the person who should have CEO behind their name? And of course, as I kept doing the work, I'm like, yes, you know, like I'm doing the work of a CEO. I'm, I'm doing all the things, but it's that feeling of like, do I belong in this seat? And, you know, um, do I belong in this space, which which now I've come to learn, I don't question whether I, I should be in a seat, I should be around the table, or I should be in a room. But, um, but you know, that was the beginning of that realization. Absolutely. Because I, I remember reading in the book, and you were, you had a, you had a notebook, and I want to say that you were, you were in the kitchen or you talking to your husband about what's that next step. And so 
you just like, you just started writing and then he was backing you, you know, a thousand percent, like, this is it. This is it. So yeah. as you were, as you were like even pouring yourself, it sounded like, you know, to me, I was envisioning yourself, like pouring your soul out mm. into like, this is what it is. What were you in terms of that release? Were you, you know, were you scared at that time or were you just like, this is it? Like I have it. I was like, I think, yeah. So, you know, I, I, my husband and I were around the table. I had um, just had my consulting contract go kaputs, you know, with the economy. So we were very much having a, how are we going to pay these bills kind of conversation. (laughs) And, um, and so, you know, he's like, what do you feel God is calling you to do? Pray on it. I prayed about it, wrote the business plan for Generation Hope the next morning. And very much like you said, it was like pouring out of me. I was in go mode. It was almost like as soon as it was on paper, I just never stopped all the way until today. Like it's just always been okay, now we got to do this. We've got to get our 501c3. We've got to recruit our first board of directors. I just always was like, boom, okay. And it it literally, it's just been like that since I wrote that business plan. Um, And so much so that sometimes people will say, do you ever sit back and say, wow, look at all that has come of that. And I don't do that enough because literally since that day, I've been like, and now we got to do this. And now we got to do this. And now, you know, that was in my husband's man cave. Today, we have an office in D.C. We're 24 plus employees. You know, it's amazing. And I should step back more and say, wow, like this is incredible. This community is incredible. This, You know, all that we have collectively been able to accomplish is incredible. Um, that's something I've got to get better at. Oh, yeah. That whole uh, journaling and just reflection, just yes. being able to say this is, you know, where I've come from. And then it's like where we are today, which is good. You know, yes, you, you uh, absolutely. Uh, what, what I'm even curious about, even in these earlier days, right, you, you know, you're getting your 501c3. It's go, go, go. But also you have the vision. It's in front of you. But now it's how do we get the vision out there? How do we get the how do we get the people, you know, mobilized? So, you know, in terms of programming, getting the word out, what was that like? Yeah. So we had, you know, one of the challenges, I think, um, for us was that we are supporting and championing a very stigmatized population. Um, And so, you know, whereas if I had started a, you know, dog rescue, right? Like everybody loves cute puppies. There's no stigma around that. You know what I mean? But this was different. Like people have very um, polarized reactions to teen pregnancy and teen parents. And so um, that we knew was going to be a challenge. Communication, rallying people um, around Around this work was going to be a challenge. So for me, there were some, you know, kind of several things that were important. One, to find things that resonate with people, no matter what your thoughts are about teen pregnancy. And family is one of those things, right? Like, regardless of what you think of teen parents, teen pregnancy, most people will say that family is important and strong families are important and strong communities are important. Um, So family was something that we really wanted to focus on. Education, you know, regardless of your opinions, most people will tell you education is vital. And so we talked a lot about education. So we tried to focus on those things that are universal, that are uh, commonly um, important to people so that that could create buy-in, even with this highly stigmatized population. The other thing that was important was, I think, the fact that I had lived the mission and to talk about, you know, my ability 
to provide for my daughter, my ability to experience, you know, economic and social mobility through my college degree. There was someone sitting in front of people who could speak, you know, firsthand to the power of this mission. And so my story was always front and center and continues to be to help people to see that, yes, this is, you know, if we are investing in this work, this is a real life example of how it can play out. So connecting it to a real life story, I think, was really important for people. Um, and I do think, you know, thankfully, I, I brought, a, a, you know, experience in communications and marketing and PR into, you know, launching this organization. And so that was really helpful. I know sometimes um, entrepreneurs who, you know, that may not be their strength. It's harder to figure out, like, how do we message? How do we get the word out? How do we, you know, rally around, get the, you know, the, the folks rallying around the mission because that might not be their their strong suit. So I think that was a benefit that we had coming in. And that's not to say I was strong in every area. I had learning curves in other areas that people were strong in. But I thankfully was, you know, communications was a, a strength. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, and I think what uh, is also really great, just things that you wove inside the book, just in terms of um, whether it's your act of educating students and just other people about, you know, hey, we need more advocacy around housing and in university, um, financial aid, you know, all of these different things, because I love this aspect. Um, it's actually one of the, my favorite parts in the book where you talk about the housing, the friends, the assistance wasn't supposed to come through, but for mm. some reason, everything aligned. Um, can you talk about that piece? piece of, of, you know, that aspect of alignment. And as you, again, you call it being bullheaded, but you were knocking down doors and things were coming together, but you're also creating that same type of structure for your scholars. Can you talk to me about like that alignment when you were going through that? Yeah. I mean, what I hope people take away from the book was that while things fell in place for me, I was so close to the cliff, right? And so close to the edge so many times. There were so many times where I might not have gotten the housing when I needed it, or I might not have gotten the childcare or Head Start may not have had an opening at the time that like, you know, I could no longer afford childcare, um, that I could have easily not made it. I could have easily not graduated. And so that experience, and, and I kind of reflect on it in the book, was like, it shouldn't be that way. And there are too many young parents and student parents who do fall through those cracks. They do fall off the cliff. They don't make it to the graduation stage for some of the same reasons that I, you know, I, I was um, having having difficulty. And it should not be that way. And so, you know, when I was envisioning what Generation Hope could be in the community of support that we could build, it was very much about anticipating those cliffs before our students even got to them so that we could say, that's not an issue, right? We're talking to them in the beginning of their academic year every year about what are all the things that could come up this year? Is there anything with housing that we need to know about? Is there anything in your relationship with your partner? Are you experiencing domestic violence? Um, how is food? You know, what is your childcare situation like? Are you able to afford groceries this week? I mean, we're asking all of these things. And, you know, not that our scholars are able to, you know, predict the future, but the point is to try to get ahead of, of so many of of those um, sinkholes so that we can help to help them avoid, um, you know, falling over the, the cliff. And I think that's the environment that we want to see across higher education, uh, particularly for student parents, where, um, you know, there is an environment that is supportive, that is an anticipating need and is really connecting students with need. And, and I think what's important about that environment is that there has to be trust. And, you know, I always say to our higher ed partners, like, 
you could have a great mental health clinic, but if your students don't trust the institution and trust that this institution has their best interests in mind, if they don't feel welcomed, if they don't feel supported, if they don't have real connections to people on your faculty and staff, they're not going to utilize that mental health support. So um, that's a big part of what we do at Generation Hope is you have to build the trust first so that you guys can work together to anticipate those needs that might be coming up and kind of help to avoid the, the pitfalls. Yeah, yeah, no, that's really, really good. And, you know, I was imagining in in, in the, the stories that you were telling of your scholars, uh, especially, you know, coming from the perspective of, okay, I'm, you know, I'm, you're, you're meeting these students, you're meeting their needs, but then this aspect of I can get a college degree, I can have a career, and I can actually think about what I want to do with my life. How are you also navigating some of those like mental blocks and, and those barriers to get them to think about their own purpose and impact that they have with their lives? Yeah, I mean, I think part of it is like, if we can help to remove some of the stress. And if we can help to remove some of the things, like it is so hard to dream when when every day is so difficult and when there's right. when you're surrounded by so much um so many challenges when you're surrounded by so many things that that don't you know things don't feel hopeful and so i think it, you know again very intentional about generation hope why why that's the name of the organization is is like we try to um create space for our scholars to dream big and to to have the peace that they need to be able to say, who do I want to be? What do I love to do? Um, and 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 also be asking those questions. Like some of our students have never been asked, you know, what do you enjoy doing? Not what is going to pay the bills, but like what makes you happy? What would you do if you didn't get paid every day to do it? You know what I mean? Like what would you still find joy in doing? Um, and so I think it's about creating that space, um, removing uh, some of those stressors. If we can help to pay for groceries for the month or um, child care for the month, or if we can get you connected to our mental health uh, manager on our staff and you can have some sessions with her, um, you know, that frees up, you know, some of the, the space that you need just to be able to think about who you want to be in the world. Um, so all of those things kind of work together to be able to do that. Yeah, no, that's, no, that's really, really good. Um, I'm thinking too about, you know, as we're heading into, you know, 22, can't even believe it. Um, <laughs> and you're in, as you think about, you know, when you started Generation Hope and then as you're heading to a different year, what are some of the, what are some of the things that you're thinking about in terms of uh, success or just, just really in, in terms of like scholars, right? And how many do you have in your program currently? How many we have, have 122. 122. Um, so as you're thinking about like, you know, the, the next five years, what are, what are some of your hopes? Yeah, well, it's timely because we just, we just approved our new strategic plan. So I can tell you down to the, you know, <laughs> the nitty gritty, what will happen yeah. over, you know, through 2024. I mean, big picture, um, what we are doing is um, we kind of have three growth areas. One is we want to impact more families in the D.C. region. I think um, what COVID has shown us and what we knew even prior to COVID is how much need there is in the world. And um, the board and the staff at Generation Hope really felt strongly that, yes, this is an uncertain time, um, but it's also a time of doubling down on our impact and making sure that we're reaching more families um, and, and helping them reach their college aspirations. But also we have our early childhood programming, which helps their little ones be successful in elementary school at the same time. So it's you know really about supporting the whole family. So we're growing, we're, we're going to almost double the number of scholars and, and children that we serve um, by 2024 in the DC metro region. Um, the second part is um, we really recognize 
recognize that we, while we've been doing this direct work with families for the past 11 years, there are these, you know, significant systemic challenges that young families and student parents are up against across the country. And, you know, even in higher ed, people who work in higher ed every day, I'll tell them that one in five undergraduate students is a parent and they're like, what? <laughs> you know, um, uh, you know, almost half of all Black female undergraduate students across the country is parenting. People, even those who work in higher ed, don't know how many, you know, uh, students are actually parenting, how significant this population is. So this is an invisible population. And it's a population that is really underserved due to a host of systemic um, barriers um, that are wrapped up in race and gender and all sorts of things. And so we have seen that our direct work with families and this holistic programming, it does move the needle. Our students are graduating at higher rates than, than any college student, whether they're parenting or not. They're, it's eight times the rate of single mothers nationwide. It's almost double the rate of low-income students nationwide. So we also recognize that we had some um, best practices that we could really share with higher ed to help them create campuses that are more supportive of this population. Um, we'll also be releasing some reports out into the world, um, illuminating the experiences of this population. And then we're also going to launch a policy and advocacy agenda with federal and local priorities that help to remove barriers for this population to succeed. Um, and then the last growth area is one of the big questions that people have asked me ever since I started Generation Hope is, when are you bringing this to my community? You know, this mm. is something that I right. that we need here, whether it's in California or New York or Mississippi or whatever. Um, and so I think we're at a place where we're finally able to start to explore what our direct services would look like outside of the DC region in another city or, or state or, or regional area. Um, so over the next year, we're kind of beginning this exploratory process of looking at what communities across the country we might um, consider for our next site and um, figuring out what it will look like to replicate there. So I'm excited about that too. Ooh, the train is moving. <laughs> I told you. I, I never stop, Ashley. <laughs> that, is, that is fantastic. That is fantastic. Um, Nicole, we are, uh, you know, unfortunately, because, you know, we could go, but yes. we, are at the, we are at the end of our time. But um, I just have to say, you know, this particular book, for those that are listening out here, you have to pick a pregnant girl, um, pick up a couple copies just for your friends, um, you know, for, you know, for anyone, because um, if you are also looking for a story about obedience, um, mm. if you're Looking, uh, looking for a story um, that you're able to see determination, um, what it, you know, all the things that Nicole talked about, about the stigma with being young, being um, a Black girl, being uh, pregnant, um, and having adversity, but also, this is a story about championing for change uh, as well. You want to pick up Pregnant Girl, uh, because I thoroughly have uh, enjoyed this book, uh, and uh, yeah, tell it to all the folks that are like, you know, what is it on Instagram? What book are you reading, you know, <laughs> I, like I finished pregnant girl, you know, you want, you know, tell, tell the people about the story. Um, Nicole, I'm um, just wanting to leave, um, you know, any type of, you know, uh, where people can find you and also just, um, you know, just a, a message out um, to anyone that's listening um, that, Hey, they're a single parent. And they're like, I don't know what my next chapter looks like. Mm, yeah. Well, thank you for um, encouraging folks to pick up the book. I always love when people send me pictures of them holding the book. I'm like, it's real. It's out in the world. Um, <laughs> Um, so yeah, I mean, people can find me. I'm on Twitter and, and um, Instagram at my full name, Nicole Lynn Lewis. Um, and I'm pretty active on there. So I always love interacting with folks. Um, Generation Hope is also on uh, Twitter and Instagram at support Gen Hope. 
And then um, on Facebook at Support Generation Hope. And our website is generationhope.org. Um, and again, we'd love to uh, to hear from folks. And there are plenty of ways for people to get involved. Um, so if you're interested, we have virtual opportunities and we have in-person opportunities when, when um, the world sort of opens fully back up. Um, my message to a single parent who's listening would be um, one that I see you because I think I felt very much um, when I was uh, a single mom and a young mom, I felt invisible, felt like the world was kind of moving around me and not really seeing me. So one, I see you. And then two, um, I would say you belong in the space that you dream of being in, you know, um, whether that's a college classroom, whether it's a CEO seat at the table, um, whatever it might be, whatever profession or career, I know um, you question whether or not it's meant for you. And um, I would definitely encourage you to see yourself in that place. Awesome. Excellent. So Nicole, this has been just such a pleasure having you on the podcast. We'll have all of the Nicole and Lewis and Generation Hope information in the show notes. And when this episode, when you listen to this episode, send it to 10 people uh, that uh, need to hear this message. So well, thank you guys so much for tuning in to Conversations with Ask Ash, and we'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to Conversations with Ask Ash. Please be sure to subscribe, leave a five-star review, and follow Ashley on social media at Ashley Schuler underscore. That's A-S-H-L-E-Y-S-H-U-L-E-R underscore.